You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word or turn your device to Genesis chapter 29, verse 13. If you have children, uh, grades kindergarten through fifth grade, they may go to children's church now. Miss Carrie is back in the back, the double doors, and they will go down to children's church. Uh, We just ask you kindly pick up your children after worship so you don't get the whole day off. You just have 30 minutes off. So if turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29 and verse 13, and we will read together. For those of you joining us today or maybe have not been here because of sickness and weather and all sorts of different things the last few weeks, we're going through the Bible cover to cover. That is our series for the year. We're going to actually read together during the week. Uh, we have a reading plan that you can get on our website, and then we talk about it on Sundays, and we talk about it in our life groups. And so today we come uh, to a section that you have read this week, Genesis chapter 29, 13 through 35. We have learned in this first series of just going through Genesis that what we're learning about is really God himself. Why is God the person that we honor? Why is the God we worship? Why is he the most vital, his character, his true uh, nature? And today we look at it in this way, that we don't need to search for a one true love somewhere else. We find our one true love in God himself. So let us read together verse 13 through verse 35, this account in Jacob's life. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. And he took him to to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. Laban said to him, yes, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban replied, better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, how sweet. Then Jacob said to Laban, since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited all the men of the place and sponsored a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his wife, his slave Zilphath, to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Wasn't it... For Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Laban answered, 
It is not custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban gave his slave Bilhal to his daughter Rachel uh, in, as her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, Lord heard that I'm unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. Let us pray. God, we ask you today, as we read your word, that you would have it take root in our hearts, that it might grow fruit in a life and a heart that longs and seeks only after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you know anyone who's ever done something foolish or crazy in the name of love? Maybe they moved across the country with no commitment from the person they were following, or maybe they dropped their job uh, to follow this person, or maybe they got rid of their, their friends. They just kind of let their, fr- uh, their friends just dissipate and go away and started ignoring them, or maybe they were crazy enough to get a tattoo with that person's name on it, and now years later, the, uh, who's that person? Oh, some person I knew in high school or somebody uh, done crazy things. I knew someone who changed their degree program just to be with a girl and then ended up finishing the degree staying with this person and then just a few years later they broke up and he's now in a job and career he hates and doesn't have the girl that he has and all this because they thought this person had to be the one in the great words of the great theologian meatloaf I will do anything for love but I won't do that Well, we don't know what that is, or maybe you do, and I'm not going to spend time on that. But people do crazy things for love. As a matter of fact, people not just love people or relationships, but there's a lot of things that we would say are things that fulfill us, complete us, make us whole. These are what the Bible would call idols, things that that we build our lives on, that we feel like that if these things go away, then life is over. Maybe it's a job. Maybe uh, it's uh, sports. Athletes feel like that sports bring meaning to their life. Maybe it's someone selling everything they could have to go to a Super Bowl game and support their team. I'm not talking about myself, but maybe somebody would do that. But People do crazy things for the idols in their heart. I was watching uh, a documentary on Ric Flair, professional wrestler. Now, if you don't watch wrestling, I'm sorry for you. But Ric Flair is known as the greatest wrestler of all time. 
His story is that, that he did come up in ranks and became very famous very fast. But the problem was his whole life came about keeping the fame and fortune of being the nature boy. Woo! He spent his whole life, but it cost him everything. He became a functioning alcoholic. He left two of his wives. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, he actually promoted his son to get in the business, to live vicariously through him, and that son, at a young age, overdosed on drugs and died just not too many years ago. In all of his life of chasing what he saw was his most important dream, he lost everything. And even at the end of the documentary, when asked, what does he want people to know him for? Well, even admitting all, even some of the disgusting things that he did in the name of fame, he said, you know, most people would say uh, that they want to be known as a great father or great husband. I know that I can't claim those. So I still want to be known as the greatest wrestler of all time. Even in this, you know, we all know that someday, sometime, somebody's going to be raised up and he's going to be known. And that name, you know, in 20 years will never mean anything to anyone. And what he has given his whole life for will fade away. Today, we're going to read in the scriptures and we're going to see two people who faced their life, based their life on things they thought would bring them joy and completion. The reality is we all do things that we make as our functioning Savior, the things that we base our life on. But what we have seen in the Scripture so far as we've read, that God is the Creator, the one who's made the covenant for us as Savior of the world. Only He should be first place in our life. Because when he is in first place, everything falls in order the way it is supposed to. When we build our lives on things that we know that will fail, that is when anxiety, fear take over our lives. And in this account of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, we see how dangerous idolatry is, but we also see how great in comparison the gospel is. So let me just catch you up a little bit because last Sunday... We saw Isaac at the hands of his father about to be sacrificed. Well, Isaac's grown up, and Isaac has had actually twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, and uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was first, and Jacob, it said, held on to his heel as the birth was happening. And because of this, he was named, he was named heel grabber, which is actually a deceiver. Well, Jacob took this name to, to heart, as a matter of fact, because for when they grew up, uh, he uh, actually was not in, in Isaac's uh, first love, so to speak. Uh, Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. Esau was a hairy man who spent time outside with animals and was a real man's man, and so dad kind of gravitated towards him, and, and in some ways, uh, Jacob kind of hung around mom a lot, and they never had a relationship. And when it came time to give the birthright to the son, it always went to the firstborn Esau, in this case Esau. Now, a birthright to us would say, well, that's not a really big deal. uh, But in those days, a birthright meant that the firstborn received 
a, a large portion of the father's uh, property, actually up to 75% that the firstborn would get. And then, uh, and then in this case, even more special, because this birthright was what Isaac would give to the next son who carried the promise and covenant of Abraham for that all the nations of the world would be blessed, that a multitude of descendants would come and the Savior of the world would come. So this birthright was important. So Jacob the heel grabber and the deceiver did something deceptive. He put some animal skin on and made himself dirty and smelly. And at this time in Isaac's life, he could not see very well. And so he, he tricked his dad Isaac in giving him the birthright. Of course, obviously, Esau was upset. It brought family destruction. And Jacob fled because he was afraid Esau would kill him. And this is where we find ourselves. Jacob was looking for a home, a place to call his own. And he runs to his uncle's Laban's. There he finds work with Laban. But here we see what fell in Jacob's heart and what he became his ultimate savior or idol, Rachel. From the first time he saw her in in the shepherd's field, he was smitten. And here's what we find of what overtook Jacob's heart when he thought about Rachel. Look in verse 18. We see in verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And so he answered Laban, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob was so smitten with Rachel that he was willing to work seven years for, for the, the, uh, um, to, to get uh, Rachel in marriage. Here we see that the going dowry rate of the day would have actually been the amount of shekels that would have actually been just two years and three months. Jacob wanted Rachel so bad, he was willing to work four times as much to get Rachel. Secondly, in verse 20, we see uh, this wonderful saying, so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his great love for her. It sounds like a beautiful love story that is happening. But all the while, all we see is the fruits of idolatry growing in Jacob's heart. And in verse 21, it leads to Jacob saying something that no man would say to his wife's father in any situation. In verse 21, since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. I mean, that is the bluntest statement that we've ever heard. Here we see that Jacob's desire is an obsession for Rachel. But here, over time, Laban has seen that Jacob has some value. He's seen some reward. And in his, Laban decides to be a little shyster. In the midst of the party and the the middle of the night, he puts instead of Rachel his daughter Leah, into the wedding bed of Jacob. Now, friends, does this not sound like something you'd see on soap opera, you know, in the afternoon? It's it's amazing. But what we find is, what is the big deal? He's getting a wife. Well, it's not his one true love. And we actually read a little bit more here. In verse 17, there is a difference between the two daughters. And we don't want to be too blunt, but Leah had tender eyes here. This doesn't mean that she was blind or it doesn't mean that she could not see. It meant she was, she was the ugly duckling that never became the swan. And Rachel was shapely and beautiful. 
In the middle of the night, Laban switched, and instead of, um, instead of Rachel, instead of Jacob waking up with Rachel, it says here in verse 25, in some translations, behold, it was Leah. This strange family situation blew up for Jacob and everyone. Jacob agreed to work for another seven years for Rachel. But in this, there was all kinds of trouble. Uh, there was sister-wife fights. There was feuding children. But here's the good news. God used this mess and destruction for his glory and our good. And maybe today, as we read through the text, maybe God would bring to mind some things in your life that you've allowed to become idols Something that you know will disappoint you, but instead, you've built your life on. Maybe today, you need to see that the gospel is better than your idols. So let's first look at the false hope of idolatry. First, we see idolatry impacts others we love. Idolatry impacts others we love. When we sin or when we follow idols, we think that it's only an act that we cause. But friends, it is not just an act It is a supernatural event that careens around and hits you and everybody else around you. It is, is for example, a lie makes you tell another lie that impacts the way people look at you. An idol of your job, though you do things that maybe help you keep it, fudge the numbers, work long hours, it affects your marriage, your spouse, the children that you're not spending time with when you become a workaholic. It's sort of like dropping a boulder in the water and seeing the ripple effect. When I was growing up, we had a, a, a camp on a creek in my grandfather's place, and we wanted to see if we could make ripples that would go all the way across the creek. And we'd start, and we'd realize we'd throw the little, little, little stones, and we'd try to throw them, and then we realized it was when we threw the big boulders in the water that created the big ripple. Well, friends, sin is just like that. It's like dropping a boulder. Idolatry is like dropping a boulder that affects everyone in your life. Look at Isaac. Look, look at this. Isaac didn't favor Jacob. Jacob cheats him. Later, Jacob favors Rachel, which causes strife with his first wife, Leah, which then there is strife among the children. Later on, Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph. We'll read that next week. That shows favoritism to Joseph and all his children sell him into slavery. This thing goes on and on and on. Friends, idolatry affects everyone around you. And our sin and idolatry, though it feels right and pleasing in the moment, hurts us and everyone around us. Secondly, idolatry leads to disappointment. Disappointment, excuse me. Idolatry means that we put our hope in a functional Savior that can't really live up to its billing. It's not lasting. For example, you're a student, you're a young student, and I saw friends of mine who put all of their hope and faith in their, in their sports or athletics. They graduate high school, and two years later, nobody even remembers they played a sport. Uh, somebody, I know friends of mine that had to have straight A's and the best SAT score and everything about them depended upon them as being looked upon as the best student. Well, guess what? Nobody remembers your SAT score 10 years later, except for you who you tell everyone about. 
But we put everything we have, all about us, things that are not lasting. Maybe we idolize a person that ends up disappointing us. And idolize a job that takes everything from us and never fulfills. Look at what Jacob did. He idolized Rachel and did everything he could to get this idol. And he ended up getting Leah. It was a disappointment. They both ended up getting, uh, they both ended up not having trouble bearing children. Both of them ended up using slaves to father children with. And this is what we see and when we put idols in our heart. We hear people saying essentially, I want this such and such career and I want, I'm going to get me a hunk or I'm going to get me a babe and we're going to live in this place and we're going to live in this great big place that I've always dreamed about, doing the things that I've always wanted to do and my life is going to be perfect. And then we wake up and every one of those things end up being a Leah. Derek Kinder says this. He is a commentator who says, But in the morning, behold, Leah. This is a miniature of our disillusionment experienced from Eden onwards. You see, everything in life that we think is going to supplant God, is going to uh, encourage us, is going to fulfill us, bring us joy and fulfillment, everything, we're going to wake up the next day or in a few years or in a few decades and we're going to be disappointed. Eventually you're going to see it. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity when he observed this, a great uh, observer of culture. He says most people, if they've really learned to look in their own hearts, would know that they uh, do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we have grasped at at the first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent and the chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. The reality is that even what we think is the best for us, our idols don't fall for the lie. We will fail. We will falter. It will fail. It will falter. Idolatry always leads to disappointment. Thirdly, we see idolatry makes life worse. And the other case of idolatry that we read here is Leah. Now, we might say Jacob kind of leans towards the, uh, the frivolous lifestyle or, or idolatry that leads to, to lustful sin. Here we see Leah is actually almost a conservative idol, an idol that, that is based on family and, and of things that, that we think people should want. But look at verse 32. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, named him Reuben. And for she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. Verse 33, she conceived again, gave birth to a son and, and said, the Lord heard that I am unloved and he has given me this son. So she named him Simeon. Verse 34, she conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, his name was Levi. Do you see Leah's idol? 
Leah wanted to be loved. Leah wanted to be, had affection of Jacob. Leah wanted the white picket fence dream that, to build her life on. But look at what happened. Every time she thought the next child or the next child was going to bring her this joy, this fulfillment, uh, the, everything she had longed for, she was disappointed. And this is the reality. If you build even your idols on spouses or children, at best you'll be emotionally dependent. And therefore, when you're dependent upon them, anytime they fail you, you are left in the gutter. Or you become controlling. And you have to control every bit of their life so they will lean, live up to the desires that you think that they should do. Making idols of your family is just as dangerous. And when you do, on any idols, in any way, there's only four ways that you can deal with it. One, you blame the idol. You say, well, it's this idol that has failed me. It's this person that's failed me. It's this job. So now I just need to find a better job, a better woman, a better man, a better, a better thing for me. Secondly, you might respond in this, that you blame yourself. You say, this idol is not fulfilling me. There must be something wrong with me. I, I'm Something's wrong with me. And you throw a pity party for yourself because you can't find the joy in this thing. Thirdly, you blame life. You become a cynic in thinking that all of life must be bad. There is no joy in life. Or fourthly, you blame the theory of life and idolatry to begin with. Maybe you finally come to a realization, if there's no Rachel, there's no joy, there's no reward that will satisfy you, maybe that reward's not of this world. Maybe that reward is beyond this world. So when you respond to idolatry, one could make you a fool, one makes you a self-hater, one makes you an utterly hard cynic, but one makes you realize the gospel is greater, that there's something not of this world, but of God. And that's what leads us to the beauty of the gospel. We find it here in this, this story as well, that number one, the gospel gives grace to failed people. <laughs> that is our hope. As we read this story, you might even look at it and say, look at how people in the Bible is acting. This is what I don't like about the Bible, the polygamy, the bigamy. Look at how the women are treated as objects. You say, how could I ever belong or even think of something like this? But I can address all of those things, but I can assure you this, that the Bible never condones what is happening in Jacob's life. It never condones the absolute misery when women are treated in this way. There's, the text is screed against it. If you look at the law, if you look at the Old Testament, no one, nowhere does God say, this is a good thing. Do you know why you're really upset when you read this? It's because you think the Bible is just a story of people you're supposed to emulate. That it's a Bible of heroes, that if you just follow these inspirational stories and role models, that if you do what David did, if you do what this person did, then God will somehow love you. But friends, that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible is a story of failures that God's grace overcame with Christ. The Bible is not about role models. It's about the mercy of God who loves us. I mean, look at the stories that we've already read about. Noah, who had great faith, got drunk and went streaking. Abraham had great faith, but lied about Sarah being his wife. Later on, we'll read about David 
killed a man. I mean, if we thought Jacob was really after Rachel, David killed a man's, a woman's husband so that he could have Bathsheba. God loves these people, not because they're perfect, but because he is. Does that mean he condones their behavior? No, they all receive consequences. Look at the family consequences that happen to all these people. But God's plan bring, is God is bringing about his plan of salvation, not based on their perfection, but on his grace. You see, every other religion sees God as a ladder that we have to climb to ascend, that we have to work to get to, that we have to climb up and go to. But God says, no, that's not Christianity. You're not perfect. You're sinful. I sent my son to come down to you. He died on a cross so that those who trust in him will be forgiven. Romans chapter 9 verse 16 says, So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Friends, the good news of Christianity, the good news and beauty of the gospel is that God gives grace to failed people. It gives grace to you. It gives grace to me. The world says to perform, God says, my son died for you. Trust him. Gospel gives grace to failed people. Secondly, the gospel humbles us. You know, when you're reading this story, I don't know about you, but my first reaction to when Laban tricks Jacob is this. Jacob put up more of a fight. Uh, why, aren't you, why are you not arguing your case here? Why aren't you uh, bringing in a lawyer, you know, uh, shyster, shyster, and you know, Williams to come in and, and, and come in and represent you in front of Laban on this contract. Couldn't you have come to some agreement and say, hey, I get Rachel. But look in verse 25. Uh, when the morning came, there was Leah. So he said, what is it you've done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I've worked for you? Why have you deceived me? When Jacob says these words, I think it's like he looked in the mirror for the first time. It's almost as if he literally said, hey, Laban, you just Jacobed me. Remember, Jacob tricked his father Isaac, and now it's come full circle. Jacob is brought face to face with his own sin, and the gospel humbles us. We don't blame people for getting us into this mess. We don't even get mad at when other sin hurt us. Why? Because we know our sin is greater and further. And we need just as much grace as anyone else. And the good news of the gospel is that God loves us unconditionally. But I also know that one day that God's going to make my outside match the beauty of Christ on my inside. Verse John 3, 2, dear friends, we are God's children now, and we will be as he has not yet revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Friends, we know that God's working on us. We know that we're not perfect. We know we need to continue to read God's word and obey it and ask the Holy Spirit to enable us and change us. And in humility... We admit that we fail and that we need saving and that others need it too because we're probably more of a sinner than they are. The gospel humbles us because of his great love of overlooking our wickedness. But thirdly, the gospel is good because it satisfies your heart. You finally, through the gospel, quit longing 
for other things. Leah was floundering around like a mad woman, doing anything she could to, to overcome this horrible place that she has found herself. Her, her dad has sold her out. The husband that she now has loves her sister and probably brought back all those fears and anxieties she's had her entire life of how she looked differently than her sister. And how is she going to survive this? A child. She thought a child was going to answer this. So she has one child. Hopefully Jacob loves me now. She has another child. Hopefully Jacob loves me now. She has another child. Hopefully Jacob will now love me now. My husband, this will save me. But look at the final response. In verse 35, and she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. What is the difference here? If I was using the here method, highlight, explain, apply, and respond, I would highlight, why does she say the Lord here? Why is this in all capital letters in my Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, there are two words for the name God. God, Elohim, is one word in which many people use for God as a, as a descriptive of a powerful being, sometimes used for the one true God, but is used mostly to, for many gods. But the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, indicates the covenant name of God. The covenant that God made with Abraham, the covenant that he makes with Moses, the covenant that carries on the promise of Jesus. God revealed himself to be Yahweh. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament, the Hebrew, when people would write this name, they wouldn't even try to write Yahweh down because they were afraid that they would write his name in vain. They would forget a hash mark or they would flip a letter or they would do something and they were so fearful of getting this name wrong, they just started writing the Lord, Adonai. They would start reading the Lord. So here we see Leah. She thought every time a child was going to bring her close to her husband. But this time, I will praise the Lord. Leah stopped trying to earn the love of Jacob and instead found her source and joy in the Lord. The one true source of joy and praise. Leah says because of her faith, she will now praise the one true God who will be everlasting. The one who will, will love her unconditionally. The one who will not reject her. More than that, Leah became the seed. This Leah the outsider, Leah the ugly, Leah the rejecter, because she grabbed hold in faith, got her life back from everyone else that tried to ruin it for her. She got it back because God comes down and makes her the seed, gives her the promise, because look at who the son is named after, Judah, in which the promise of Jesus resides. The lion of the tribe of Judah comes Jesus. Here in the faith of Leah, here in her faithfulness and joy and worship of God, here when she finally realized my faith in God is enough. It is him who saves me. We see God who loves the unlovely. The Old Testament shows us what the New Testament really tells, that God loves who others don't love. God is attracted to those who humble themselves, who is weak, 
who puts themselves last. It is his gracious nature because he wants the ones that no one else wants. And like Leah, we need to consider her, what is, brings us to worship? What brings us to praise? What brings us the joy? Is it idols? Is it things? Is it jobs? Is it, is it relationships? Is it people? Is it uh, attention on social media? Is it, what is it that brings us joy? It's not about the sons you have or the attention you have or the relationships you have or whether Jacob loves you or not or how smart and pretty you are, but it's that the covenant relationship of God has become your gift. That God says to you, I am the gift. I am what satisfies. I am the one who loves you despite all your failures, despite all your shortcomings. It is God that brings you joy and to worship. Today, can you put your faith in the God of the Bible? Can you believe and understand that because even though that you're unlovely because of your sin, God crucified his son so that he could love you and that you could put your trust in him and be born again? Not your wealth, health, family, or fame compares anything to what happened through Jesus. And once you put him first place in your life, everything else falls in place. Be satisfied in the God who loves you despite your flaws. Maybe today you would repent of your idols. Over in the book of Acts, we see that Paul preaches the gospel and people bring all their magic books and all their belongings to the center of town and burn them up to say that I'm not going to find my joy in these things anymore. What is it that you need to run from? What idol have you placed in your heart and built your life over? What is it that you need to burn to burn and run away from? I encourage us all to be satisfied in Christ in Him alone, in God alone, in the love that comes from Him that you will not get from any person or anything else. Who's your one true love? It should be God. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning, as you have revealed in your word, that you would reorient our hearts and minds around your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that as we come to respond, that you would bring some to salvation that they would see that everything that their life has been built on will fade and fall away. But an overwhelming, never-ceasing, never-giving-up love of God is theirs through Jesus Christ. I pray today that they would trust you, your son Jesus, and be saved. That they would just say, God, I have been a failure, but I know in your son Jesus Christ you can make me whole. And in this, I will find your love forever and ever. I pray that they would just respond in faith and trust and follow you. I pray today those, for those of us that need today to uproot idols from our heart and ask you to fill that with your heart, with your love, and to remind ourselves of the joy that comes from worshiping you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. 
The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him. 